Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Welcome back to the Summit for Wellness podcast. Today we have a special episode for you because we are going to be talking about a trip that I just went on to uh, the southern part of South America, down in Chile and Patagonia. And uh, while I was down there, I was taking a note of a lot of the cultural differences between um, some of the South American countries and back home here in the States. And... It's it, for me. It was really fascinating to be able to, to um, take a look at these different cultures. These cultures that haven't really been influenced a whole lot by Western culture. I mean, they definitely do have some Western stuff um, integrated into their cultures, but for the most part, at least the areas I was at, um, there's not a whole lot of influence. So it's kind of a treat to be able to go in and analyze the cultural differences between um, home and there uh, and to kind of see what what does work and what seems to be better and what might not be um, as done as well as what we have going on here. So that's kind of the direction that uh, this podcast will be going. And I'm sure you'll hear a little bit about my trip, too, because I took some time um, and went to explore a piece of Patagonia called Torres del Paine, which if you've seen any photos or videos from Patagonia, uh, typically it's coming from that area, which seems to be one of the more popular areas within Patagonia. And the area kind of became popular back in, I think it was 2011, when uh, National Geographic did some um, videos and news articles and whatnot on that region. And then all of a sudden, the tourism just completely boomed um, with just a huge influx of people coming from all over the world to go see that specific area. And it's kind of unfortunate about that Um because now the whole area is changing. It's great for the the uh, economy in that region because being so far south, they don't have a whole lot going for them. Uh, they're kind of excluded from the rest of the world, and to get anything in and out of there is kind of a hassle. But um, it's starting to become full of greed and... Um, you know, just a lot of people money hungry uh, for that area. And so like pricing of pretty much everything down there was the same, if not more expensive than back home um, here in Washington, which is very surprising, especially being a South American country that, you know, we're paying these basically top dollar to uh, even get food down in the the cities down there. So um, we'll talk a little bit more about um, all the efforts that they're taking in for uh, conservation of the park and that region a little bit later on um, because all that kind of feeds into different water quality and whatnot um, compared to back home. But first, let's talk about one of the uh, number one things that came to mind right when I got down into uh, Puerto Natales, which is the, the um, port town that's closest to uh, the entrance into 
Torres del Paine. And in that town, there is no fast food, which is completely unheard of back in the States because it's like you go down the street and there's 12 Starbucks and five McDonald's and fast food on every single corner. But in this town, in this port town, there is no fast food, no golden arches, nothing. I didn't even see a Starbucks anywhere. Um, and I don't know if that's because it's a smaller region and therefore uh, those type of businesses might not get very much profit. But, I mean, the town is pretty good size, um, and there's a lot of tourism and whatnot coming through there, so you would think that there still would be um, profits to be had there. So I'm not really sure if um, it's because the businesses just don't want to deal with it or if it's more the culture just saying no to those type of foods. And I would like to think that it's the culture saying no to the fast food industry, Um especially since a lot of the other uh, things that we saw within the culture would kind of lead more towards um, them trying to stick with more fresher foods. And so uh, when you don't have fast food and you don't have places that you can just go and get your food on the run, then a lot of the times you have to spend more time cooking. And that's one of the things that I thought was a really fascinating piece uh, with the culture is that they would take uh, about an hour and a half off from like one thirty to 3, pretty much every single place that we saw, they would shut down. So uh, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's um, uh, the schools, whether any other kind of business, everybody would close up shop and go home for an hour and a half to spend time with their families and uh, have a meal together. And um, I thought that was really kind of cool because that's something you don't really see back at home because we're so much on the go, 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 go. We don't have time to take off for lunch. We have to eat on the run. Um, we don't eat with our families anymore. So to see a culture actually just stop what they're doing, close shop, close everything down, go home, be with their families, make an actual meal, spend some time with their kids. Um, I think that's kind of a rare uh, trait that we really see anymore, um, especially the more places that you go that has Western influence. So, and I mean, even the schools, we saw kids getting let out right around that one thirty, And from what we heard from people in the area is they go home and they go have lunch and then they come back to school. So it's not just a business thing. It's just not just a restaurant thing, switching over from lunch to dinner. It's actually a cultural change focusing on that time with each other. And I think some cultures, like I think Mexico calls it like a siesta time. And I don't know if they have a specific name for it down in Chile, but I would say it's very similar to a siesta. Um, and they just spend that time with each other. And then after the hour and a half is up, then everyone goes back to um, where they're supposed to be and they act like nothing has happened. So if you have to go back to school, then you go back to school. If you go back to work, then that's what you do. If you're in the restaurant business and you go and you start dinners, 
So it gives you kind of a that time to settle down and reset in the middle of the day, um, and get you kind of your second win for the later um, evening shifts or pushes or a uh, piece of your job or schooling or whatever it may be. Uh, one of the other kind of crazy things is that um, they don't really do breakfast there. So breakfast can be kind of a, a big deal here in the States. A lot of places or a lot of people really like to have a really nice breakfast. Um, and for some people, that could be your family time. A lot, if you have kids, that could be kind of a stressful time. Get food into your kids and get them out the door to the buses. Um, but you are at least starting the day off with some kind of food. Um, whereas down there, breakfast isn't really one of their... Um, main staples. A lot of what they do do is um, it's an herbal tea called uh, mate and it's kind of like um, it's kind of like if we went to a coffee house and just kind of hung out and uh, spent time with friends drinking some coffee. That's kind of their uh, morning tradition is to have a cup of mate and either be with their family or friends but for actual like breakfast, the only places that we really saw that um, were offering breakfast was like some of the hostels that have more of a Pacific Northwest influence. Um, so like the owners are from the West Coast. And so they would have some kind of breakfast. They would use eggs or whatnot. But we never saw any restaurants that were open for breakfast Um if people were having breakfast, then they must have been making it on their own. But it's not one of the meals that was heavily talked about. Um, and then dinners. Dinners, for a lot of people, are a lot later. Um, I think part of the reason for that is because they do take time to uh, spend lunch with each other. So that kind of pushes the day out. So um, dinners... Like, early for dinner would be around 7 or 8 o'clock in the evening. Um, but it seems like it's that culture. They they tend to eat a lot later in the evening. Um, so more like 9 or 10 o'clock. Uh, which kind of goes in hand with their nightlife, which uh, we're used to nightlife shutting down around uh, 1.30, 2 p.m. at the latest um, in the States. But down there, their nightlife doesn't even start until midnight, and then it goes till 5 or 6. So being someone that tries to be in bed by like 8 or 9 o'clock, um, being in places that have nightlife going on and the nightlife starting super late was definitely a, kind of a tough culture shock for me because I like my sleep. And pretty much the entire trip, we didn't have a whole lot of sleep. So, uh yeah, that was something that was a lot different and something that we weren't used to. So that now that we have talked about their different timings of their meals, uh, let's kind of talk about some of their food options. Um, one of their m big staples, uh, food staples down there, is definitely bread, which um, for all you gluten intolerant people um, out there, you would probably go crazy because everybody's chowing on bread all day long. But surprisingly, I usually have reactions to glutinous bread um, back home. 
but I wanted to try the bread down there and see if there was any difference within the gluten. Um, because I've always heard that if you're in different cultures and a lot of times you'll be able to handle, uh, their glutinous foods a lot differently than you can back in the States. And I had bread a couple times and I didn't have any kind of reactions whatsoever. So seeing how I reacted to, um, their bread and gluten compared to back home is starting to uh, push me towards one side of the argument whether gluten is bad for us in the States or if it's, there's other components to it that um, has caused so many people to be gluten intolerant. And one of those um, issues could be the glyphosate that is sprayed on a lot of the wheat that we use for the breads. Um, and so I'm definitely starting to feel like the the chemical process and the uh, the manufacturing processes that a lot of our grains and wheat goes through is probably more um, for the reasoning why we have so many sensitivities to these type of foods compared to what the actual foods um, themselves are. Um, especially considering normally if I have bread, then you know, my throat and everything just gets super mucusy and I get a ton of different reactions to it and I had no issues down there whatsoever. So uh, however they're processing their wheat and um, down there compared to how we do it up here and whether they're avoiding chemicals or not um, would probably make sense to why I was able to handle the breads a lot better down there than I can here. Um, another big staple that they have down there, uh, and they're very proud of is their, um, agriculture. So their fruits and their vegetables and, um, that whole industry is one of their big exports. And so it, just walking around, you see a lot of stores that are carrying, uh, the fruits and vegetables. And it's kind of interesting because when you're walking through town, they have these mini supermarkets and they're a lot different than the supermarkets that we have. Um, the supermarkets are kind of uh, specialized. So it's like some some markets would um, only have, say, packaged products and some meats. Some would only have meats and some would only have produce. But for the most part, you don't see one place that has it all. So when it comes down to doing your shopping, then you really need to know um, where to get all of the stuff that you need for your meals and your recipes because one place might have uh, a couple items and then you need to go to the next place to get more. Um, they do have one very large supermarket, but it's like having the only Safeway in town and so everyone goes there and the lines can be like an hour long. Um, so it's, it was a lot easier to support more of the mom and pop stores, which we ended up finding was actually more, um, reasonably priced than the big giant supermarket was. Um, which usually you would think it'd be more expensive, but a lot of times it was cheaper to go to the mom and pop stores. So with the mom and pop stores, you would get very fresh produce. Um, I mean, everything you could just tell is just a few days old and it's really ripe and it's been picked uh, very fresh. They don't do any kind of refrigeration. 
so all of their produce just sits out. So um, the shelf life at the stores isn't very long. So you know that the the produce is getting recycled out pretty quickly. However, one of the uh, interesting things is because all the produce is sitting out, um, some of them have a lot of flies on them. And so I don't know how sanitary that would be. Um, I don't know if I would really want to get produce that has flies all over it. So I was making sure that uh, the produce I was getting wasn't covered in flies because I don't really want to um, get any kind of diseases or anything that's down there that's being passed along by the flies. Uh, another really cool thing about the area is a lot of the meats um, are more locally sourced. Uh, at least a lot of the lamb and some of the other meats are uh, more locally sourced. Uh, interestingly enough, beef isn't one of their main exports, so um, a lot of times the beef was coming from a little further away, uh, so it wasn't necessarily as fresh, but overall it was still fresh. And one of the things that I noticed they don't do is they don't add food coloring to their meats to try and make them look more presentable like a lot of stores do here. Um, and that might be a practice that you didn't know that stores do is they'll use colorings and whatnot to uh, make meat look a lot fresher and more appetizing um, so that consumers will purchase them. And that is something that they don't really do down there and you know the meat still looked extremely appetizing even without the um, added colorings to it so and I actually thought it looked more like um, a meat source that I would want to eat instead of having all these perfectly red cuts and whatnot that you find in the stores here there is a lot of farmland down there and a lot of land that they um, just let all their uh, livestock kind of roam around and graze on. And so the meats that you do get are grass-fed, pasture-raised, uh, whatever it may be. But it, all these animals aren't being pumped full of um, feed like we do here. And they're actually eating what they're supposed to be eating. So uh, one of their main meats is lamb, which uh, I have always found that lamb can be a little tougher to cook or to at least make appetizing. But the lamb that I had down there was absolutely delicious. Um, I guess being one of their main uh, meats, then they get really good at cooking it. But it was unbelievably delicious down there and very filling. And just driving around, you see um, sheep and lamb all over the fields, and you can tell that it's one of the uh, main meat exports. And I think just with the layout of the land, it's a lot easier to raise that type of livestock than anything else out there. On one of the days that we were down there, we went and got some... Uh, fresh chorizo to bring back to our hostel and cook up and I have to say it was probably the best chorizo I've ever had in my life and it almost had a resemblance to like ground up bacon so that probably made it even tastier because who doesn't love bacon um, 
and it was just so fresh and the price point of it was um relatively similar to what you would find here i think it came out to be like 3.99 a pound and it was totally worth it if there was a way for me to bring back uh some of that chorizo i totally would have but I don't think there was any good way to get it through customs, and it wasn't something that I was going to um, try and figure out. So another food-related uh, practice that we noticed um, starting the moment we left the States and was heading to Mexico City for a layover is a lot of other cultures are... Um, much more proud about being non-GMO and not having food colorings in their foods. So the flight to Mexico City, uh, even on the uh, the crappy airport uh, airplane food that you get, uh, the snacks, it said right on it, non-GMO, no preservatives, no food coloring. And so I thought that was a pretty... Um, interesting statement on even something as simple as airplane food because usually that's lower quality food but for them to be that proud to say hey we're not using GMOs we're using real uh, plants real food um, and we're not using any colors to make it look differently for you and that practice we saw continue down into Chile as well, and a lot of the foods um, had those labels on it that they were non-GMO and there was no um, preservatives or no food coloring or whatever it may be. They were very open and upfront about what was in uh, their products. Now, the products that didn't have these labels, uh, if you're searching around on the pack, then you can find um, like the umbrella brands that these were. And these were for like Nestle and PepsiCo and some of the big uh, uh, food industry brands that we know back in the States. Um, and they were the ones that weren't spouting out that... Um, they were GMO free because I doubt any of the products they actually have are GMO free or co food coloring free or preservative free. Now, another interesting thing about um, uh, the food products or the products that they use down there is uh, their water supply. So I believe a lot of the, the water supply down in South America is... Um, what we would probably say isn't fit to drink straight out of. Um, so one of the big exports out there is having bottled water wherever you go. And um, it can also be expensive to find bottled water. Like at the Santiago airport, I think uh, a one liter thing of water was uh, 10 bucks USD. So... Um, to get that fresh water, it can be a little bit more difficult to find, or people just jack up the price. But they have a couple options. They have with gas or without gas. So uh, um, with gas would be like a carbonated water. And like it was 50-50 um, with the products on the shelves. And I couldn't really tell you... Um, whether carbonated water is good for you or if it's not, there's um, a lot of mixed research on it. Um, for me personally, I don't want a carbonated beverage 
when I'm drinking water. I just want water, so I prefer without gas. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that they focused on with or without gas so much in their culture. Because even if you go to um, a restaurant and ask for water, they would ask you with or without gas. Do you want carbonated water or do you want regular water? So it seems like there must be a lot of people down there drinking carbonated water. And I don't know if that's cheaper than pop. Actually, I don't think it would... It would um, I don't think pop is tough to get down there because we were seeing like three liter um, bottles of pop and soda down there. So I don't really know what the big um, demand for carbonated water is, but I thought it was really interesting that it was such a big deal within the culture to have um, even water to have gas or no gas. So while we're on the subject of water, I will talk a little bit more about actually in the park um, and the uh, water sources and whatnot that we found out there. So uh, typically back home, if you're out backpacking, then any kind of the water that you get, you want to either filter or um, I use a UV light to kill any pathogenic um bacteria or whatnot within the water so I don't get sick uh, but it's a it's a lot easier to get sick back home um, than it was down in Patagonia so actually in Patagonia because it is such a tourist attraction they're doing everything they can to keep um, their water sources and whatnot as pristine as possible and uh, with that, it makes it so that you can actually drink straight from the water sources without having um, any need for concern of getting sick. And even the hostel that we stayed at, the owners are from uh, Oregon, and even they are like, yeah, just drink straight from the streams, you'll be fine. Uh, there's a lot of really big glacial lakes up there, and uh, because they're uh, focusing so much on conservation there is you can't swim in it you can't walk in the lakes you can't put boats on the lakes um, there's one of the lakes that you have to cross in order to get into the park and they have one catamaran and that's it that's the only boat allowed on the lake whatsoever so that's some of the things that they're doing to keep the water really uh, pristine and most of the water up there is coming off of glaciers, which helps keep it cleaner. Um, uh, Patagonia is right next to um, the third largest ice field in the world, uh, next to Antarctica and Greenland. So uh, flying over, you can see on a clear day just how massive that ice field is. Um, so there's a lot of fresh water coming off of these glaciers that um, is feeding the streams and the lakes around there, uh, which keeps it really, really clean. So going back to the city and the separation of all the different um, kind of categories within a supermarket into their own separate stores, the pharmacies down there, um, they're a kind of different than the pharmacies we have here. You can still pick up your prescriptions, but when you walk in, it looks like they use a lot less um, actual medication than we do. I don't know if it's they don't 
um, typically use as much medication as we do, or I don't know if it's because um, in America we just have medication for everything. Um, but uh, they do have medications at their pharmacies, but it, they also have like all their uh, skincare. So you have like your hair products and your skin products and um, all your cosmetics. Those can all be found at the, the pharmacy. And one of the things I thought was really funny is they, they have kind of a supplement section and, um, all the supplements for, uh, weight loss and, um, like getting in shape and sports and athletics, those were the only things that we found in any store that was in English. So I took that as, uh, more Americans are purchasing supplements, um, than, uh, Chileans were. And to the point that they have these sections just specifically for Americans and in English so the Americans know what to do. And I thought it was really funny when all the weight loss products were in English only. Um, which kind of went hand in hand with what we noticed visually as we were walking around. That a lot of the Chileans um, aren't typically overweight. Uh, you do find some that are, but for the most part they aren't. Um... And I think, I think a lot of that is from a lot fresher products, uh, a lot fresher produce and meats than we typically get back home. And I'll, I also think it's because uh, more people walk around and get a lot more exercise that way. And I also think that they utilize a lot smaller portions than we do. Um, I would say I was hungry most of the time I was down there because it just seemed like everyone's portions were so small that I could never get enough food. And I'm also not really used to having a lot more carbs or more carb-based meals than I was having down there. So for me, I wasn't getting the energy sources that I needed to keep me satiated and sustained because I wasn't getting as much animal uh, fats as I typically do. And with that, I was just hungry all the time. And so that leads us into the final difference that uh, really stood out to me from the Chilean culture compared to the American or Western culture. And that is that the Chileans are way more relaxed and it seems stress-free compared to um, the Western culture. And... We all know that stress can do a lot of damage to the body, especially if you have uh, a lot of sustained stress like we do, especially if we have stress from work and family and all the other different avenues within our lives. Um, they are a lot more relaxed, and they kind of just free float through the day and just kind of enjoy life. And as I talked about earlier, they have that time in the middle of the day where they go back home and uh stay with family and um, have their kind of time together. And I feel like their attitudes are a lot better because of that, uh, because they don't feel like they have to rush through everything. They're not rushing to get through their life. They're actually taking the time to enjoy what they have in front of them and um, to enjoy the day as the day goes on. And 
um, be present in everything that they want to do. And I think that is something that we can really learn from, especially the more and more stressed out and the more and more sick that our culture is becoming. Uh, that sometimes you just need to step back and take the time to relax a little bit, slow down, take in uh, everything around you instead of being so uh, laser-eyed focused on what's directly in front of you, and to just uh, enjoy your life and find your passions and uh, have a good time with life. We only have this one life, so um, don't waste it on stressing yourself out for most of your life. Okay, so I've kind of been just mind-dumping everything that um, I can remember and um, kind of get it off my brain. We did just get home um, not that long ago, so we're still kind of getting back in the swing of things. So um, I appreciate all of you who have been listening to the Summit for Wellness podcast. We do have a lot more podcasts coming up with interviews with more professionals. Um, And I hope that if you have been enjoying the show so far, that you have gone on to your favorite uh, podcast app and subscribe to our show so that you can get notified when all the upcoming shows um, have been released. So another thing that you could do so to find out uh, when shows are released is go to summitforwellness.com and you can subscribe to our newsletter and you will know the instant a new podcast is released via that as well. Um, we also have some changes coming up to some of our services and we will be providing more services for distant clients. Um So if you have been uh, trying to figure out where to go with your own health journey and you need some guidance, feel free to contact me and I can help you out with that. So go to summitforwellness.com to find out more information about the services that we will be offering. Um, Or if you want to shoot me directly um, an email, go or send it to info at summitforwellness.com. If you guys have any specific guests you would love to hear come onto the show, please also email me or comment on either the show or wherever you are listening to the show. Um, And that way I know who you guys want to hear and see if I can figure out a way to get them on the show. So remember, this show is all about you guys and answering the questions that you all want answered. So um, I'm just doing anything I can to be able to answer those questions for you. And if that means bringing on really good professionals to answer those questions, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, So once again, you can stay up to date with all the podcasts at summitforwellness.com slash podcast. And you can see the whole list of podcasts there or whatever podcast app that you are listening to. I'm sure you can see all the episodes there. Okay, we will see you guys uh, next week on our next episode of the Summit for Wellness podcast. Take care. You have been listening to the Summit for Wellness podcast. If you are ready to climb to the peak of your health, visit summitforwellness.com for more information. As you continue on your journey, we hope that you will join us next time on the Summit for Wellness podcast.